Hello and welcome to I Spit On Your Grades, the Creature Feature Edition. I am Chris, joined by Faye. Guten Morgen. And Mercer. Bonjour. How are we, how are we both today? We're all, all good, all ready to get all things creaturey, leggy. Yeah, slightly hungover, but that'll pass, I'm sure. I'm fabulous, but I'm still living the lockdown life, so... Boom. Okay, so let's get into our Creature Feature edition. I'll go first this week, because I won last week's episode with the absolute brilliant the thing. Dominated voting all over the board. Almost like you picked it, because everybody loves it. And it's a masterpiece, and everyone does love it, because it's a masterpiece. But, so... I have gone for the 1990 classic Tremors. Whoop, whoop. Waiting for a big round of applause there for everyone. Thank you for the whoop. You'll be waiting. I'll gently clap you until I've um, expressed my opinions. Okie dokie. So, quick plot synopsis here. So, this comes from director Ron Underwood, who went on to do City Slickers after this. So, that's a hell of a one-two for mm-hmm. Ron. We've got Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward playing Valentine and Earl. They are two handymen, I suppose, I suppose you call them, working in Perfection, Nevada, a backwards, dead-end kind of town with a population of about 20-something. It is a, it, it a back-end kind of town. Is it? I kind of thought it were a new um, development where like people were... Like going in to escape the the like horrible city life, but it could po- it, it could possibly be. It's in the middle of the Nevada desert, and they've got a population of about twenty seven. So they're two handy men. We find that there are tremors. Amazingly, given the title of the film, going around, going around the desert from the new seismologists in town, and what do we find are causing these tremors? Big fucking worms. Big ass dirty worms. Not your garden worms. Big 60, 70 foot long worms. The reason this is brilliant is because I am all about the fun. Still, I am still bringing the fun fun with horror movies. And this is an absolute blast. Kevin, Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward make the ideal bickering couple the whole way through. It's weird because they... They are very much a couple. Even at the end of the film, when he kind of gets with the seismologist, they're still a couple. They're still leaving together. Mm-hmm. So, old married bickering couple. Not anything that anyone can identify with. Don't look at me. So, their, absolute, their relationship's absolutely brilliant. We've got an actual female lead who actually circumvents normal horror film tropes here as well again. So, we've got an intelligent successful female lead who's more than a match for the men mm. which makes a nice change of pace as well she does end up with her trousers off though they had to shoehorn that in right bit of nakedness yeah the, um, the only thing I'd say with that is on the plus side they do it very briefly they don't have her running around for a half hour yeah. like that they, have, they do that they get her out because she's attacked by them and then immediately within 30 seconds it's oh look here's a spare pair of jeans yeah, yeah. shoes for yeah. So I don't I don't have an issue with that. I think it's not so bad. 
the worms themselves look as Ali had you had you want giant worms to look phallic phallic. <laughs> I'm sorry, why do we want giant worms to look phallic, Fair. I'm not saying I want them to look phallic. I'm just saying they do look phallic. Mm. You've seen a penis before, right, Fair? One time. <laughs> so you know we have got, like, shooting mini penises that come out when when we get aroused, right? You might not have. <laughs> I'm going to say, have you, have you not? <laughs> shall, I to, <laughs> shall I be going to the doctor? But... Not only, not only do these worms look great, we have what we'll f- I think we'll find is a trope of these creature features in that they are smart and they learn and adapt. Mm. So it becomes, I wouldn't say it becomes a battle of wits because the film's only 90 minutes long so we don't get, we don't get that kind of slow build up. But there's a few bits where they start, where they kill the first one and then they have difficulties repeating the same trick. So they have to go, so at least we get more and more different set pieces rather than the same routine rolled out over 90 minutes. Mm. I will say, I think it feels a lot longer than 90 minutes. I do feel like it feels a bit draggy, but it is a lot of fun. I hate to say it, I, I, I somewhat agree with Fear with the feel of the length of the film. I did find myself at one point looking at my phone uh, which I don't think is a very good sign, but it 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 is like a film that is in peaks and waves. So, and I guess you have to have them kind of like slower parts to help move the story along. Yeah, but, that, yeah, yeah. That's it. You can't you you can't go all guns blazing for ninety minutes because you hit fifteen minutes in and another worm's attacking and no one cares. So you have to try. You have to try to have those character development pieces in there. Otherwise, say, so what's the point? If you don't care about anyone, anyone in it, and we just have worms attacking people in the store for ninety minutes, after 20, 10 minutes, you're bored. You go right. I've seen it now. That that's done. I don't want to watch another eighty minutes of this. I think what he did really well, or what I quite liked, was the introduction to the characters. So we got to meet like Earl and Valentine. Um, get a kind of sense of who they are, meet the seismologist, meet the people in the in the town. And we did get to learn enough from their character introductions to kind of work out, well, I'm not going to say who we liked because pretty much everyone's a decent person. Yes. But you know, learn enough to work out like who we wouldn't want to die and who we would want to die, basically. <laughs> Totally going against what you just said. I don't want anyone to die. No, no, no. I said who we like. So everyone's quite likeable. But, you know, even likeable characters, sometimes you go, I'd like to see them die because what impact it would have on the film. So who would you want to see die? Valentine. Why poor Kevin Bacon is doing nothing wrong? Because I think when we first meet Kevin Bacon, so I'm going from my first impressions, remember, he's a bit of a douche. He's a bit of a misogynist. Um, when he's like, when he realizes that there's a woman come to town, someone new, and he like literally cuts off the road so he can go and see her, and he's like, she has to fit this criteria in order to be accepted by me. And then she done, and he's like, nah, fuck her. But the whole point of his character is that he isn't actually that way at all. He's quite um, insecure. 
about interacting with women and to the point you can tell when they fall asleep on the rock and even on the end where he's trying to make a move with her he's not that confident in himself it's all bravado or he's just a bit upset with himself that he's going against his type who knows so yes also i always i think it's sometimes in in movies i think it's like you want you want an impact and watching like your, your, your main character eat, eat it kind of makes you go oh shit I don't know where this is going to go mm. um, but and I preferred Earl as a character I want to be Earl's friend just Earl's friend? yes just Earl's friend is it the beard? Cause it seems like the beard John it seems like you're a beardist now <laughs> now you have a, a beard that's it yeah. it's beards all round <laughs> No, I, I just think Earl's, Earl feels a bit more um, relatable, I mm. think, than Kevin, I mean Valentine. Okay. And then, who else do I want to die? That annoying boy, because he's annoying. And let's get rid of Minda. The little girl? Let, yeah, do her in. You know she's the little girl from Jurassic Park? I do, yeah. Yeah, she has had enough of things chasing around trying to kill her. To be fair though, when this is going on they they all they all realise that sound sound on the ground <laughs> making making noise and the fact they've tracked the vibrations, that's how they hunt. So when you let your kid then go down the road on a pogo stick, they deserve what happens to them. I also have issue with that scene in that the pogo stick is stood upright and just gets sucked into the ground. Exactly. I, I wrote that down because that's no challenge to bounce on that pogo stick because it don't fall. Mm-hmm. So, anger. Anger! <laughs> there was no real anger. It was just a question. Why does it stay up? <laughs> We're back in phallic mode. Like, why is that so erect? Like, <laughs> what symbolism is that giving to us? <laughs> I feel a bit wrong comparing a pogo stick to an erection, to be quite honest. <laughs> We didn't do it, the film did it. As I said, what I do also like about the film, I do think it's, it's even though I said like, there's this like kind of wave effect when you're watching it, it does have a really good kind of balance between kind of the comedy aspect yeah. and building like some tension. The tension is never really like, oh, no, what's happening? But you do get like senses of, oh, are they going to get out of this kind of moment? Yeah. So I think it does that well. I, I do like all the all the scenes where they are being chased by the. Do we have a name for them? The grab, graboids. The the pen, penis graboids. <laughs> when the penises are chasing them, um, especially when it's running underground and you can because for the time I know it's nineteen ninety, and obviously effects are better now than what they were. But it still astounds me that for the time, just how good they actually are, the, especially when you do doing creatures in a film and you make them look slimy and dirty and sticky and hot to make something look like that without a cgi is a win i think all of the kind of scenes where we're tracking the tremors under the ground you know like when the ground's moving Mm. as they move i think that looks fucking ridiculously good yeah it does but around that time as well you've got jurassic park and 
I, I can't stop shouting from rooftops how well... I mean, everybody knows Jurassic Park holds it well. But the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park are fucking amazing. To say they were made in 1990, just like this is. So what you're saying there is Jurassic Park's better than Tremors, so Tremors probably shouldn't win. Well, that's no question for me, because I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, will, I will die on a hill for Jurassic Park. I love it. But... I'm just saying, in terms of effects. Yeah, it's they're very splattery as we as we get things oozing and leaking. Very much without the body horror, without the body horror, we've got things yeah. things oozing and leaking out. And also, again, without the claustrophobia as well. It's this small town that's cut off. There's no no communication, no hope of rescue for themselves. It's just that whole kind of that whole kind of no one's coming to help, like the thing. Without, it's very much a theme that we have running through our picks for a lot of these films, where we do like a, a claustrophobic, no one can save, come and save you, paranoid kind of a thing. But that that's more of a a plot for a lot of films because when you cut off outside communication, it does make it a lot harder to resolve a situation. So you do find it crops up quite a bit because if it were that easy just to contact someone, the film would be over in like ten minutes. <laughs> Independence Day wasn't. They could <laughs> contact people. Fair enough. Can I just um, point out one of the no. cringiest parts of this? <laughs> just because it really threw me for six when I was watching it, because I've not seen Tremors for years. Mm. Um, so when I was re watching it, after they, not the very first one they killed, but after they killed the second one, uh, Bert kills the second one. Yeah. Is it called Bert? After he kills the second one and they radio in yeah. and they all start whooping and cheering. Oh. <laughs> like, oh my god, this is so cringingly awful. I I picked up on that scene as well. Uh just it is it is terrible that it's the worst celebratory celebratory? Yes, celebratory montage. Celebra- Horrible. But we'll let it go because it was brief <laughs> and was not repeated. Yeah, America. <laughs> <laughs> not repeated. They did do it again. And when they get in the truck, and I'm just like, why, 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 why are we walking like this? But at least, not, at least they're not all cut into each individual face, and they've all got a line of dialogue to say about it. <laughs> how, how are you going to know that they're happy that the monster's been killed if we don't see them celebrate? Audio, audio's fine. I don't need an up close reaction of every single person in the town. What? Just a gentle round of applause. <laughs> well done. Well done. Like bravo. <laughs> yeah. Right, so the wrap up tremors. Not that he needs wrapping up because it's brilliant. What what we have here is ninety minutes of giant graboid Kevin Bacon chasing fun with nice relationships between all the characters, a load of really great set pieces. Comedy balanced really nicely with the horror edge and, quite simply, our winner for this week. Thank you very much. So my pick is uh, Neil Marshall's 2005 gem, The Descent. Amazingly claustrophobic. Um, has been a favourite film of mine for years, hence the reason why I'm picking it today. We start off with a group of girls um, who've just been white water rafting, led by Sarah, played by Shauna McDonald. 
and she is in the car on the way home with her husband and child and they get into a car crash unfortunately her child and husband don't make it and one year later to try and help her get over the grief as all good friends do as we said when we're watching this your friends just want to take you out a year later as if you're over it um they try to take her mind off it by taking her spelunking but in the interest of not mixing that up with another word we're going to call it caving because we know how my mind works so they, they take a cave-in um, in what they assume is a founded territory. But when they get there, uh, they found out that her friend Juno has actually picked a cavern that's never been explored before. And uh, they stumble upon underground, blind, sonar-enabled creatures. Fair synopsis? Yeah. I think I nailed that yeah. one. So, um... Yeah, uh, Descent is, like I said, it's unbelievably claustrophobic. I remember watching it in cinema and just not being able, feeling like I couldn't untense the whole time I was watching it. And when it gets to the end and obviously she gets out, you you can relax a little, but then you tuck straight back into that pose again. Um, It's such a simple setting as well because it, it... the darkness around it all the time there's not much going on and i think that leads you into that paranoia that they have because you're seeing things that aren't actually there your mind's trying to you know like when you see the dark corners and stuff like that mm. i mean i don't know if you do this but when i'm watching a horror like when i'm watching a horror i look at the surroundings especially when it's dark and to see if there is anything there like is someone just trying to sneak something in so I'm constantly like darting around hoping to find something and obviously because the descent is mainly in darkness there's nothing to do but that because you obviously know something's going to well I say you obviously know you don't actually this this could just be a survivalist movie until like three quarters of the way through when it all kicks off and it, it would still be a great film but when you throw in that element of the creatures in there it ramps it up next level See, since since we started doing this, when I watch films now, I don't just watch them like I used to. So before, I kind of blindly watched films for entertainment's value. I didn't really take much consideration of, like, trying to find, like, like you said, like, when it's in a dark room, like, look to see if there's something in there. I kind of just waited for it mm. to happen. Whereas now I'm a bit more, like, like, looking at everything to try and grasp like what they put together and how they put it together and like the impact that it has on you as a viewer um which is interesting because you should really do that anyway when you're watching a film shouldn't you not necessarily (laughs) but but i noticed like this time i noticed there's um i didn't think we saw the crawlers until like quite late on but this time there's a scene in the film where um I think it's, I'm not sure if it's when they first get down and they move into the, no, it's before they move into the next room. So they first down and they're having a look around and they light that kind of red light. Flare. flare. Yeah, the flare. And they throw it down and Sarah walks up and away from everyone and she stood like forefront of the scene and you can see her friends like to the right of her. And then to the left, there's just this person in the background. Oh, I did not there, notice that. And, and I never noticed that before. And I was like, 
oh shit like they do warn us in advance that there's someone else down there mm. but i never noticed it before even if you weren't taking into consideration the crawlers the, the story itself is quite i don't want to use the word disturbing that's not the right word i mean when when they're doing all the when they're going through the caves and she gets trapped under the rock could you imagine being in that situation? Because that puts me right about... I mean, I don't know how they do it anyway. I was about to say, no. I can imagine getting in that situation. A, because I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be climbing around caves. And B, I wouldn't be able to fit through that gap. <laughs> <laughs> always reminds always as, as I was saying during watching the film, this, I love the descent. It's great. It's tense. It's claustrophobic. And as we were saying, it always reminds me of the episode of 999. For anyone non-UK based or too young to remember, mm. 999 was a a BBC show where they recreated, not tragedy, recreated accidents. Hosted by Michael Burke. Hosted by a respected newsreader, Michael Burke. And there, there is one when a guy is caving and breaks his leg, so they have to get him out while strapped to, strapped to a gurney. And there is a scene where they actually have to push him underwater for about 30 seconds again from one side of the cave one part of the cave to the other while strapped to this uh, while strapped to this board yeah so spelunking is off my off my list of things to do and just in case you were playing innuendo bingo at home I have a note that says couldn't go in those tight holes <laughs> so I don't know if either of you knew this but I didn't I thought it were filmed on location. In in it's somewhere like Poland or something. I mean, I thought the caves were caves, but they're not. I was curious about this. Tell me, because I didn't. No, I didn't look into it. No, they're not. I um, I looked into it because I was a bit like it's quite difficult to. I imagine it's quite difficult to film in caves. Mm. Uh, but no, it was a set, all set design. That's amazing. All built on, I think it was Pine, London Pinewood Studios. It's all wow. built in. All, all built in. That is incredible um, because it, I genuinely thought they were real caves. So it, it was created by the production designer Simon Bowles, mm. um, but obviously it was built by somebody else. But yeah, it kind of threw me for six up. So like I read that and then started watching it, and the very first thing I did was go, right, let me see how I can tell this is a like a, a set and not real caves. And I couldn't. No. I thought, I'm like, that's really good. I think the thing that comes into play with the descent as well is not just the creatures, because the creatures are really well designed. I mean, they look horrible. They look like you'd imagine people would be, be stuck down in a cave for centuries to look. That kind of pale, see through skin, like, much like fish. Like if you go to the bottom of the ocean and see fish like that. See, apparently, I think they were based on Nosferatu. Oh, okay. That makes sense. But blind. Uh, and they changed some of the design because it made them look a bit comedic rather than scary. Yeah. Uh, although, what baffled me was why they felt they had to do the distinction of the female ones and give them long hair. <laughs> I'm just like, why do the females grow hair and the men don't? Again, that's something... I mean, I can't count the times I've watched Descent and that is something I've never noticed. Yeah, the one that attacks um, Sarah in the blood pool. She's got, like, long brown hair. Oh, I did not notice. Yeah. Unless I'm making this up. You are. No, definitely <laughs> she had hair, because I was like, 
Python got hang about. That's odd. And everyone else in between. But yeah, like well, like I was saying, them aside and how good they are. I, mean, I guess the Nosferatu thing as well would make sense because the bat-like creatures and obviously vampires, bats, that sort of thing. Um, I love the relationship between the girls. It's so natural. It's it's not constantly drinking wine, talking about men and stuff. I mean, obviously there's a man involved at the centre of it all. As we find out, Juno was um, having an affair with Sarah's husband. So she's obviously wrecked about what's happened as well. But yeah, I, I love their relationship together. We... I, I do. I love the fact. I think they're great together. I like the fact it's a female cast. We almost get past the Bechdel Bechdel test. Yes. And for they get so close while they're drinking what while they are drinking and partying the night before until one of them turns around and goes, So tell me, have you got a boyfriend or a husband? So so close. And as you say, the relationship between them is really good. Although. Friends who drag you to another country a year after you've lost your kid and partner. Uh, yes. Sensitive. Um, that that as well, where they are together, comes the first real... I mean, obviously the crash, but that comes like the first significant jump scare for me is when she's dreaming and the it doesn't even make a noise when the pole comes through the window and through her eye and it's just so slick. I love that. I think both the crash and that did they felt really unexpected. Mm. So quite, uh, you, you know, you were, we're horror fans are expecting a jump scare, but specifically that second pull through Sarah's head, mm. uh, that for me came out of nowhere. I, I didn't think it were a dream sequence when she woke up. It were very believable. Can I ask a question about the relationship between the girls? Because I was quite confused because I know... All of them, apart from Holler, so um, Nora Jane knew, mm. knew each other. But I couldn't work out the relationship between um, Rebecca and Sam, so Mayano and Saskia. Were they like were they sisters? No, were... I, I. Do you know what um, Saskia reminds me of Sandy? In yeah, did you yeah. think that? Yeah, shout out to Sandy. Um, in that kind of, I, I think she's just got a protective, a protective hold on her. She wants to keep her safe, even to the point where the fight in the crawlers, she makes sure she gets away and she takes the brunt of the force from it because I, I think she just wants to protect her. Because I, 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 I almost got the feeling like Sam was the youngest of the group. So is it like a maternal kind I of think, or big mm, relationship without them actually being? Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I believe it's all platonic, so, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't doubt the whether it was, like, a secret gay relationship. No, or, no, it's, yeah. I, I thought you said without them being together, that's why I said. Yeah. Yeah. But the, um, the, the stinger in the whole film, for me, comes from Sarah's revenge on Juno at the end, because that is a brutal way to show someone how pissed you are with it. She, she left her to die. And if I'm not mistaken, when it comes to The Descent 2, I, I see Sarah going back, but I can't quite remember. Does she go back? And yeah, Juno's she goes in back there. Because to... it, it's only a few weeks have passed, isn't it? It's not, it's not like a whole length of time. No, because the... So The Descent 2 is a 
obviously a direct sequel, but it's a direct sequel to the ending of the American version of Descent rather than the UK version of Descent. So what happens so in the, the American ending? It, in the American ending, it ends where, so do you know when Sarah escapes mm-hmm. and sees Juno in the car? That's where the American ending ends, so she actually does escape. Oh. But, but you couldn't have the sequel if she didn't escape. You could. You could have had them both in there fighting it out. Should should probably say as well, if you haven't seen The Descent, um, Sarah finds out about the affair while she's down there from her friend who's died. And um, they're being approached by all the crawlers and Sarah decides to take a axe to Juno's leg and just leave her there to die and fend for herself, which is, it's a brilliant scene. Um, I, I shouldn't love it, but I do love it. <laughs> and then it does, it does, impl- it implies that Sarah gets out. And I say, once she starts crawling through and she gets that air in her lungs, you start to breathe. I was like, oh, thank God she's got out. And she does the smartest thing possible. She runs. She runs away and gets as far away as she can before she sits there crying, like so many girls in horror do. They get out, they literally sit on doorstep and have a weep. Nah, man, there's someone still coming for you. Run. So she gets as far away as she can and then she breaks down. But of course, we learn she didn't actually get out at all. It's it's all an illusion. I think, for me, what like I like the Juno scene, but I almost feel like Juno's vilified worse than she should be. She did so know... take them into the cave that was unknown. Yeah. She did take them into the cave that was unknown, but she's like you know she's not like um, it almost feels like she's not an amateur, so she kind of knows what she's doing, in my opinion. Um, but just the whole kind of like yeah, she had an affair with Sarah's husband, but Sarah's husband had an affair with her. Well, he died, as well. so you know. But but like you know. Like, that kind of shit happens, unfortunately. And I'm not saying it's right, but it's definitely not leave her to die a horrible death no, kind of scenario. No. And Beth, when she accidentally kills Beth, and let's, if you look at the context of that scene, she's been fighting with one of the crawlers trying to stop him from taking Holly's, Holly's body away. Then she gets attacked from behind. Yeah? So she's in an actual state of... Like, we've got in flight or fight, and she's fighting. Someone comes up behind her, she just turns around and attacks it. But Beth blames her and says, she did this to me. Yeah, I don't I don't believe that she was, that Beth was trying to say that it was all her fault. I think Beth was saying, yes, this happened, but look what I found. And hands the necklace. Beth knew all along, you get that indication from when she arrives at the cottage. Mm. Um, and at the very first scene, when it, at the very beginning, at the Whitewater rafting, when Sarah's husband, I don't know his name, we'll call him Paul for the love of it, is helping Juno and taking off his uh, hat, you can see how Juno's looking at him and it's uh, she's looking at someone she loves. Mm-hmm. I see Beth look over and, and you can see the disgust in Beth's face. She knows what's going on. She's like the worst friend. Because she didn't even tell her. The thing is, Sarah's been through so much. And I think by the time it gets to the point where she meets Juno after everything's kicked off, I think she's just a bit frazzled herself. 
and maybe not thinking. So, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll wrap it up. Again, Descent is amazing. I, I love the film with all my heart. And in terms, I know we haven't spoke much about the creatures because the, to me, the creatures are secondary to the story because the story is fantastic. Um, but I definitely think this should win Creature Feature this week. Right, moving on to my selection for a creature feature. So like Chris, I like to bring the fun. Which is like <laughs> 2007's Frank Darabont's The Mist. Oh. Stephen King adaption. Uh, novel, novel, not adaption. Um, so why did I pick The Mist? First of all, that I love the idea that, you know, we've got this unknown kind of entity this thing happens we don't know why it's happened we've got this mist coming over the land and it's infested with these we don't really know what it's infested with whether it's like mutated bugs octopuses giant monsters we just know that there's bad things in the mist and when we see them they're bad mm. um, but what i really love about the mist and i think this probably in line a little bit with like the way the descent works is I don't feel the story is a hundred percent focused on the creatures, no. which is great. Like the creatures are great, but I love watching how society and people break down and what they will do to try and save themselves or to put their kind of fate in the hands of somebody else that they think can save them. Mm. And just how easily somebody can take a situation and manipulate everyone and that for me is like so like the real creatures in this film are us mm -hmm. and that is why i picked this as my creature feature because i just think it brings out the it shows us the darker side of humanity i took so much away from the mist this time obviously before it's you can tell straight away it is science versus religion the whole way through, that is what the commentary is. But this time, it, there were things I were noticing, like maybe I mean, I, I, I've so, I've seen it before, but the religious lady, what's her name? Sorry, uh, the Miss Carmody, Marcia Gay Harden, who is the best thing in this film. She is incredible in this film. I love her. I mean, I don't love her. She's hmm. fucking horrible. She's she's the work of the devil to say she's supposed to be a Christian, but that thing lands on her and doesn't touch her that and you go well hang on maybe she is right maybe religion will save us because it's not harmed her i think um first of all marcy Gayharden and miss comedy like you said i for somebody to actually get me to fuck, like despite them. them so much and it's just the character that they're playing just shows how good mm. they are. Because I, like, you know, like, when you watch things, sometimes even bad age, you kind of think, yeah, well, they've got some redeeming qualities. Or you like the actor, so you don't, like, you don't make them as evil as, like, they come across. But she is pure, unadulterated evil. Yeah. She's not forgiving. She's not compassionate. She doesn't... Even though she's got her religion, you can see there's moments in the film where she uses 
like the the weakness of the other people to empower herself. Mm. All she's about is being like in charge, basically. At, at that point, where she starts to gain the followers, though, that's when she starts taking on this real religious hierarchy. And you're right; it does empower her. She 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 likens herself to one of his messengers, his disciples, sort of thing. Yeah, she is basically saying. As she said, he is speaking through me. Uh, yeah, I'm have, a messenger. You, have you not seen enough evidence that he is? So she fully believes it. She fully believes by the by the time we get to the end of this, that she is a messenger from a vessel for God. Mm. There's a there's a moment where you see her know that she's going to be able to control people, and it's when after the attack, one of the women in the supermarket goes, she was right, she said this was happened, she was right, and the camera just goes to her face, and you see this little smirk mm. appear on her face, like, I've got this, I've got it, oh, I hate her, yeah. she's so good. <laughs> um, I mean, and she's just one character. <laughs> There's so many different characters in this film. I think one of the kind of earlier scenes where I'm like shit we are shit as human beings is when that woman's in the store and she she like she's from the walking dead yes I know what you mean there's like four people I, from the walking dead in this by the way the walking dead is in this film Melissa McBride so Melissa McBride goes I need to go I've got to get home to my children and she's really good at this part. Mm-hmm. I know she does this book. Can somebody help me? And everyone just puts their head down. <laughs> and it's so reflective of like all these stories you see of like people getting attacked or people getting, you know, murdered or raped or, or mugged or whatever. And everybody just kind of goes, oh, no, no, no. I can't get involved in this. Right. I'm, I completely agree with everyone else in that supermarket. I would not be getting involved in wandering out into that mist after someone had just come screaming through it. If that was you and you knew you had a family to look after, would you put yourself at risk for someone you don't know to take them out or would you be thinking about your family? You would, but that's what I mean. So it's reflective of society now because people don't get involved because they've got other people and other priorities that they need to take care of. Mm. And that's quite, it's, it's just a, it's, it's understandable, but it's sad that, you know, when your fellow man is crying out for help, we just can't do it. Again, this could totally come in on a religious angle in that she was asking for help and nobody helped her. She went out into that mist and you see at the end her go by with her children so it left her yeah. alone, maybe because she had faith. Or maybe because they just weren't as virile and attacking as much at that point because the mist had only just come. But I know they killed a few people, but, you know, every single motherfucking person in that store who's died wanted to wish that they went out and helped her. They must do. And the thing, what's worse is, not what's worse, but that in intervals in the film, people decide that they're going to brave the mist. So, you know... I think that's na- like, that's natural, okay. though. That's that's just human yeah. nature. To If you're not getting a resolve, you try other ways. So It must be a real kick in the teeth for poor Thomas Jane at the end, though, when he sees her on the, sees her on the lorry. And he's like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. Just to add on top of everything else. Jeez. But, yeah, I mean, and, and I think with the films, well, there's so many of these scenes where, like... 
it's horrible. Like the film just paints us as pieces of shit. I think. Like there's that the scene where they go to fix the generator, and that boy's like, "I'll go out and I'll do this," and the other two guys are like, "Yeah, do it. We're men. We can do this." And he tries to be like, "No, let's let's think about it." Well, that's the thing. It breaks down your social groups. So you've got the thinkers, you've got the people, like he keeps saying, I went to university, or I went to college and stuff like that. So he's trying to work it out logically. You've got the doers, the ones who go in and want a result there. And then you've got the religious folks. So it breaks it down into all these constructs. And he was just wanting, because that's all he knows, he wanted to be part of the workers. He wanted to help get a solution, but sadly didn't work out for him, did it? No, and the second these big strong men were presented with, he actually needs help now, something's ragging him out, none of them stepped forward. They fell back and it was down to, like, David. Was he called David? Thomas? Yeah, Thomas Jane, David. Yeah. David Drayton in this. Yeah, David's character. And, um, oh, what's his name? Toby Jones' character, who you wouldn't expect to be a hero. Oh, only, to- only Toby Jones' character I like. I'm just going to put that out there. Never mention Barbarian Sound Studio. Let's not, no. Um, but yeah, um, so you've got all this kind of like human interaction and all this horrible stuff that's happening. And then we've got these fucking beasts that mm. like break into the store. Now, let's be honest, I think I don't think they've aged as well with time. No. Um, as, as some like earlier films have. But then again, they, they are supposed to not be real. So you you might, like, as in the from another dimension. So we might make excuse that. Yeah. I mean, as Faye, as you commented, they they do look very kind of prehistoric. Yeah. The Obviously, the giant octopus thing, less so, because I'm, sure, I'm not sure we have giant octopuses running around the earth. But the birds do look kind of pterodactyl kind of prehistoric kind of style which could bring in is this an evolution thing but then you've got the flies that are hanging around that are like locusts and you're like well could that be a religious thing it is definitely a religious versus science Mm. thing and then birds i don't know if anyone else thought this but they did did you not think so the ones that break into the store and start killing people so not the little ones the big big ones yeah did anyone it looked a bit like a mutated cyril squirrel cyril Cyril smear Um, raccoons yeah I was just just like oh fuck yeah this is is what happens to Cyril when he does drugs Um, (laughs) don't do meth kids (laughs) yeah meth heads Cyril Um, or Cyril whatever but um, but yeah so you get that introduction to these different creatures so like the spiders that scene with the spiders when the body drops I can't look at it (laughs) Those be spiders. No. They can fuck off. I can, I can fucking die. <laughs> no. I'm not. I'm not on board for that. No. I don't want to I don't want to see spiders coming out of people's faces, out of the mouths. I don't want to see pulsating uh. like body parts that you know is spiders like trying to crawl through. I don't want it. It's not it's not Saturday evening entertainment. It's done really well in the mist, but we watched a few weeks ago. Was it Urban Legend Two or Urban Legend Bloody Three? Ma- Urban Legend Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary, and there's a scene in that where someone's got spiders coming out of the face, and it looked terrible. It looked absolutely ridiculous, but it's done so well in this. To the I point, like to the point scene. where I can't watch it. I, I I had to look away. I said, "No, you're gonna have to tell me when it's finished because 
I'm going to have nightmares about spiders if I look at this. It, it, it is. It's not a very nice scene at all. And then I guess the the idea, obviously, like I said, like, oh, we're just going to do this. The scene where th- there's two scenes. I know which one you're talking about straight away. But stop it, stop it, stop it now. So it's with the, the general mm-hmm. or the, the officer and that she's like, it's his fault and that man starts stabbing him and oh. I'm just like, no. It's just how that comes out of no, not comes out of nowhere, but it ramps up so quick. And this mob just evolves in a matter of seconds. And for it to go from just pushing him around to punching him to physically stabbing him. And you see in that man's face how proud he is that he's getting rid of that kid. That kid's done fuck all wrong. I felt so sorry for him. But your second scene, I know what your second scene is. That scene where she's going, get the boy, get the boy, we want the boy, we want that whore. Mm. And I'm just like, like, at that point, you want to kind of like, grab the people that she's with and like, listen to what she's saying. She's not doing this for God. She's already, earlier on in the film, made it very clear she doesn't like this woman. She's this all... is just a portrait. And she's going off at them for stealing food, yet she's there with a pint of milk. So she's stealing herself, so... But yeah, and I, I'm not going to lie, when little Toby... Jones. Jones pulls that trigger and shoots her in the head, I whoop. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yes! It's satisfying. Tremors. Woo! Yay! But, again, just credit to her. The fact that she manages to get me to hate her that much Mm. that I'm not whooping because it's a good death scene. I'm whooping because she's died. Yeah. And that's horrible. (laughs) She had it coming. I don't want to sound like that person, but she had it coming. There was absolutely no way you would have been able to control her had you not killed her. She would have got... She would have fucking gone mental. I mean, she did go mental anyway, but more so. But yeah, that entire scene, just the way she's screaming, is horrid. They all... It's the way, as soon as she's dead, it is very much like a cult, because as soon as she dies, the rest of them just wander off. They don't carry on the same theme. They don't go when she's shot. They don't don't go. All right. Well, we still need to sacrifice him because that's what we need to do. She gets shot. Trudy's waving to get around, saying, "Let's out." But everyone else just wanders off. They just break off and just start wandering, shuffling around because they've got no direction because they've not got their head anymore. Mm. Yeah, because all the, they've put their faith in someone who's they believe is going to live throughout this and going to guide them, like walk them to safety, and she can't because she's dead um, and I just want to say earlier on in the film um, she gives one of my favourite lines as well when she's talking to um, in the bathroom the bathroom and yeah. she's like uh, if I need a friend like you I'll just uh, I'll just do myself a little squat and shit one out <laughs> you're like you're not a nice person no. at all horrible anyway so I think we then move on to like that the could ending. be a climax but we move on to the climax of the film and the ending and you know eight of them trying to escape five of them get in that car and they're off and, and one person just, gets out <laughs> just one person gets out they're just driving to get to safety he goes he, he goes on to try and rescue his wife which throughout the film he kept saying to his little boy, I'm going to get you home, I'm going to get you home. But when he was talking about escaping, he never mentioned to anyone 
I've got to go and pick my wife up. You're saying we'll get in that car and we'll drive. What is Stephen King's obsession with wrapping women in spider webs? Because he does the same in it. Thing is, Missus, she's found in that spider web, isn't she? And, yes. And he unravels her. So maybe it's the. Well, this is what we were saying. This could be. They talk about how it's maybe different dimensions. And it could be different Stephen King dimensions. So it could be different Stephen King films that are all bleeding in from other worlds, which I thought would be quite a cool concept. Could be that. It could just be the fact that um, he's not as inventive as he thinks he is. No. And that's the only idea he's got. Because at the beginning, it shows you him painting, and he's painting, is it... It It looks very much like the Dark Tower series. So it is the dark there is. Yeah. Painting. Um and there's also a really cool poster of the thing in the background. Yes. There is. The thing. <sighs> is that a sign that Chris is gonna win again? Oh no. <laughs> uh, what what gets me what gets me angry about the ending? I mean it's upsetting. It's a very upsetting ending. And I still haven't forgiven you two for that time. We all went out and got drunk and got home and put the mist on and you two fell asleep and left me crying by myself watching the mist. It was very cruel. I'm not forgiving you. But what gets what gets me mad is that he doesn't wait longer before pulling that trigger because it's it's not like they're in imminent de- imminent danger. He could have waited a bit longer. What's the point? They'd all agreed that that was the other way out and it was agreed that he'd be the one that would do it. Mm. So why prolong it? It's hard enough for him as it is. He's got to shoot his kid in the head. Yeah. Probably just wanted to get it over with. But a minute later, yeah, it would have been a world. The, weird, the weirdest thing for the ending is this. Normally we would have a director or a studio go, no, the ending is really miserable of the book. So we want to send people home happy and cheer them up, give them a proper resolution and actually something to look forward to. The the original novella has them surviving and just driving and just driving off. Basically, they rest up for the night. They hear, he's listening through the radio and he hears the word Hartford coming through on a radio signal and they drive off to try to get there and go back through the mist. For them, they then change that ending to how bleak it went in the actual film version, I, I'm genuinely surprised that a studio went. No, we've got an ending where it's hopeful. We're gonna we're gonna scrap that and actually have something that's ridiculously bleak. Hmm. So initially, um, Frank Darabont only agreed to be on board and direct because he adapted yeah. the book for, the, and he only agreed to be on board if they let him keep the ending I think primarily the first studio they were involved in said they wanted to change it and they were investing a lot more money and he said no so he pulled out from that went with whoever it was who did it I don't know if it's Warner um, for less money so that he could keep that ending oh. he wanted ended that's dedication to your cause well, isn't it Really, just pissing all over the original source material, though, ain't it? As well, it's like, no, no, you got, you got a perfectly fine ending. Just gonna scrap that. But it's his adaptation, so 
Stop it, Chris. Stop with your sabotage. That's all I'm going to say. Stop. <laughs> um, nobody gave a flying to the most of his other books of the Red Ninja Change, did they? Look at me, I'm a spider did monster. No, but they don't. They're like, Phil, like it's a, it's an adaptation, and we're allowed. They're allowed to change it to best make the no. story work. Yeah, that's true. You can tell you can tell whichever story you want. I just find it really odd that he's chosen that bleak and ended, especially considering he did Shawshank. Yeah, true. But if you think about, like, I think quite a few King films have bleak endings anyway. Mm. Well, I think it's one, but. Be fair, I just yeah. When you think of when you think of Cujo, I mean, in the, in the original book, the kid when they get help when they get help in the morning, the kid's dead. So yeah, Carrie, she kills half the town, which is never shown in the film. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, so I think if we if we break it down, the myth has. Like these two elements going on. It's got the 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 horrible kind of monster creature feature nature, and then this horrible human reaction nature brought together to create one of the most bleak kind of tense films that I've seen in a very long time. That stays with you for a very long time, and for that reason. The mixed should win our creature feature episode. Okay, so normally this would be the point where we'd have our listener's choice for our fourth film. However, we have a very special treat for everyone. We are very much delighted to be welcoming Director of Arctic, Tom Bocci. Tom, how are you? <laughs> Woo! Yes. Hey, what's up, guys? How you doing? We are Popular. very well, thank you very much. How's your, how's the US, how's lockdown over there? Um, I mean, it's great. I've been indoors. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an introvert, so it's uh, no different at all. Nice. <laughs> Sticking to the rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're finally trekking back out to the pub today, so finally they're back, back open a couple of weeks, so first trip out in four, four months. Four, four months. months, yeah. Well, well, just be sure to wear a, a mask, a gas mask, and a hazmat suit, nice. and you'll be fine. <laughs> that's, our, that's our usual Friday-Saturday attire, that's right. Right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, thanks for joining us, Tom, as I say. We have, we, so we had a bit of back and forth over what film you wanted to chat, about, chat to us about. Loads of great options there. Do you want to tell us what you've gone through and give us a brief synopsis of it? Yeah, so the film um, I suggested looking at is a film called Of Unknown Origin. Uh, it's a, a film that I guess can best be described as like Jaws in the Attic, you know? Um, and to me, it's just, uh, if you're a screenwriter, it's like a great movie to look at because it has all these great beats in it and moments that are so good you forget that it's about a fucking rat? <laughs> it's a movie about a rat? And somehow as a kid, I saw every horror movie known, you know, uh, throughout the entire horror genre growing up, and none of them stuck with me. And I just remember, I always remembered that damn rat movie. And like, 
<laughs> and so, like, if I'm gonna talk about any film, kind of like uh, at length or in any type of depth, I mean, that's probably the one that I would want to go after. I mean, I, I can't think of other films that really gave me nightmares. I remember seeing the remake of The Blob when I was like nine and thinking there was a swamp that I was actually afraid to jump in. But other than that, I, I really haven't had something like stick with me for that long. And it's just funny overall that it was that film. But I'm like, hey, we're going to do it. Let's do it right. Nice. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, if you're going to pick a film, Robocop versus a rat is, <laughs> is the way to go. Right. <laughs> it was the first watch for all three of us. Yeah, yeah. So bizarrely, yeah, we'd never heard, we'd never heard of it. Yeah, and it's by, you know, Panos Cosmatos' uh, dad, so oh. um, yeah. the same, per- same person who directed, uh, what was it, uh, was it Unforgiven? Uh, uh, Tombst- Tombstone. Tombstone, yeah, 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 Tombstone. Interesting backstory to it. Yeah, I mean, he's also, he's, I mean, he went on from here to do some big work. I mean, he worked with Sly for a couple of films. He did Cobra, and he also did First Blood Part 2 as well. Yeah, the best Rambo <laughs> film. First Blood Part Two, just so everyone knows. <laughs> well, we could have a whole other po- we could have a whole other podcast on uh, arguing why right. the original is the best, but we'll leave that we'll leave that there. Yeah, Mercer, what, uh, what did you think? Well, I was just gonna say it's funny that you said that um, it it's a film that stuck with you because I know for a fact there's definitely a few moments in that <laughs> film, uh, specifically one that will change my bathroom habit. Forever. Yeah. Um, never my toilet seat again. I don't care how vile it is. Right. Uh, never. Yeah, I've, I've right, sworn right. off leaving toilet seats up, uh, down and cakes ever again. Sworn off toilets for yeah, the start. Yeah, <laughs> just never again. It was, it was such a good jump scare. Like, I, I, I'm legitimately surprised we've never seen this before because of how good it actually is. It's really good. Especially for that era i feel like it's a movie that um there's a lot of interesting themes that happen inside it that like i said for screenwriters i think it's a great thing to study if you, if you want to write a script there's this idea that this guy is being stalked by something so he becomes the hunter he starts to hunt it and then about halfway through we sort of churn mm. and he becomes the hunted it's very interesting because yeah. usually Especially during that era, you weren't used to seeing kind of villains and heroes kind of like reverse roles, and 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 so yeah, a lot of interesting stuff going on in that film. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of really nice shots of the rat sneak sneaking around, spy spying on him. You'll see you'll see her <laughs> Peter Weller wandering it along. Reminds me of, uh, it kind of reminds me of Parasite actually, and that's what's funny is it just you know that movie was made in what eight eighty one eighty three, so you know it's just. Um, the, the movie that won all these uh, ginormous awards, you know, everyone was going gung-ho about it. It's like, oh, th- that was already done, though. <laughs> like, a long time ago, it was just about a rat. So it, it should have won a BAFTA, an Oscar, an Emmy, uh, a, a Golden Planet, just, all the awards that just, exist, apparently, that I'm not making up. Just for everything. <laughs> just for- just for every guy, Grammys, whatever. It's like. Grammy, yeah. Grammy, I, w- I was sure. surprised by how straight it was actually played in places because it's quite, it's quite serious and formal up to a point. And I was like, is this? I think it's listed as a thriller as well on IMDb. And I was like, well, this looks really 
on the line sort of thing and then you get i mean that rat itself is amazing like yeah. i'm assuming it's a puppet not like... how they taught a rat to do that i've <laughs> no idea i meant in terms of technique obviously yeah. but I, I love the way that it was one step ahead of him as well at each point it's like oh i'm gonna make a phone call oh no you're not i'm gonna know through that right there's this, uh, there's this great great scene in the film where he opens his refrigerator and he goes to like pick out some some milk or, or something <laughs> and, it, it, every, and he sees it's been chewed through and then everything else he looks at has been chewed through yeah and uh, yeah it's just there's a lot of just great little beats in there that are, they're so ridiculous but also the movie's played straight so you just kind of have to accept it yeah. like, this rat this rat is jocks the best <laughs> The best one of those that's the most ridiculous is when the rat steals the check for the pest controller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's just, he's just coming in. As if, God, the fact we've then gone, oh, the rat has listened to him. We, he knows what's going He's managed to locate what he's identified as a check. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just really shouldn't mess with rats or animals in general. It's just, they're less smarter than you think. Be fair, he did kill. He did kill its babies, so you can understand why. Not on purpose. It was an accident. Right. He didn't mean to. So. Hey, yeah. there, there's there's no accidents in the animal kingdom. So, <laughs> yeah. You know. I say so. I mean, there's just so many. So it's just as you say, with him being stalked by the rat, just so many great moments, like him in bed. We just see yeah, the duvet or the cover lifting up with the rat underneath it. Yeah. Oh, great. The fake out with the birthday cake. The birthday cake is one of my favourite scenes. I mean, the, the toilet, I, I genuinely didn't see coming, and I did actually lift off the floor, jump in. And that rarely happens with me. I'm I'm pretty iron in that department, but no, I, I came right off the floor. Like, whoa, Jesus. But yeah, <laughs> it was awesome. And it, again, the look of it, it looked amazing. It was slimy. It would, I mean, I'm assuming the close-ups were actually a real rat. And he just looked like, ugh, all the stuff that was dripping from it. Oh, nasty. You thought it was cute for you. I parts. did. Some parts I did think it was cute, and I actually felt for the rat. I was like, oh, yeah. just trying to survive. That's all he's trying to do. But no, by the right. end, that rat deserved what he got, definitely. Yeah. She got. And she I, got, she got, yeah. She. And I, I really like how like a lot of those uh, scenes are shot, like the, the climax at the end, for example. Um you know, there's no CG, and it's like it's clear they're using a puppet. But the way it's cut together, the um, sound design and the editing, I, I'm I'm still after watching this full movie. Like, there's never a moment where I'm kind of taken out of it, mm. and it's weird because clearly they're not killing a rat. I would never watch something where a rat dies for real, but. You know, when I see that scene, it, 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 I'm actually like sucked. I believe what's happening because yeah. the sound design house is, is done so well. So, yeah, uh, movie about a rat. Hey, you guys get to talk about a lot of movies a lot of people know about, but I think, you know, this is changing yeah. the game now. You should always, always try to find something that's um, just completely absurd. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. agreed. Yeah. I, I would just say before we move, before we close this down, the weirdest. The weirdest part of this is the backdrop it's played against. Because it's played against a kind of... It's not a financial... It's not Wall Street. They're not in the financial district. He's in a mergers and acquisitions or whatever he may be doing. But it's played against this 80s kind of Wall Street style that, yeah. power grab. And I, I will say before we move on as well, sorry. That, that end scene where he goes absolutely berserk. 
I'm absolutely convinced that they just gave him that bat and went, do what you want. Cause as much because yeah. he's he's stomping in a piano at one point. I'm like, who would have yeah. thought of doing that? You were surprised how Shannon Tweed let it go when she got back to the building at the end. She's just like, oh, yes. oh well, there you go. Oh no, what have you done? It's like I would be going crazy. She, mm-hmm. She's she's so calm about it, isn't she? I'm not being funny, right? Every everyone in that film is fabulous, apart from that small child. <laughs> and we all know it's that child's fault that that rat is in that building. Oh, he, he angered me. <laughs> this is your fault. Look what you've done to your dad. <laughs> but Peter Weller was incredible. I, I like, I, I only know him from kind of Robocop, which is, you know, fine. But in this film, I was like, you are sick. Like, you're amazing. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a great actor. And uh, what's interesting is... um. Uh, his wife was played by Shannon Tweed, which, you know, when I was growing up, I knew her from other films. <laughs> <laughs> really? And uh, so to see her uh, in this role, I was like, oh, she's great. Like, I, I kind of, you know, it's, it's always interesting to see how someone's career kind of moves and choices that are made and, and where they um, where they go and, and, and what they're known for. But, yeah, she's she's great I, I, I'm like yeah everyone's great it's just mm-hmm. it's so funny it's a film about a rat <laughs> Love it. it. it's great I think that's I think that's perfectly a place to shut that down on if any unless anyone else got anything they want to comment on regarding of a known origin anything else um, no I'm, I'm good, just, you good? What, if you haven't seen it seek it out because it's amazing and I'm genuinely floored by that days passed us by all these years. It's available on UK streaming services as well. It's on Amazon Prime, I believe. So hey, one, one, one thing I will add is just um, if you look at the cover of the movie too, really films don't have like posters like that anymore. Like it's mm-hmm. kind of rare to see posters like that. It's just like a poster that uh, it's it's like a tease, but it's so like telling in the same way, like. It just and it's it feels really violent, but it's it's just like a simple shot with I don't know. So I I, I just really really enjoy everything about it. Yeah, yeah. great cover. Yeah, oh, Mercer's showing the cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a great yeah. a great audio feat audio feature as Mercer looks at various film covers. Right, so brilliant choice. We all thoroughly love that. Mm-hmm. What we want to speak to you regarding as well, Tom, is Arctic. So we all went to Soho Horror Fest last year from oh, our nice. good from our good friend Mitch Harrod. Another cracking lineup as always. It's always good to shout out to Mitch. And one of the reasons it's so such a cracking lineup is because we have films like Arctic mm-hmm. on there. So would you like to give us a quick pitch, Tom, for Arctic as well? Uh, Arctic is a film for people who grew up like I did loving comic books and researching serial killers. <laughs> that's, really, that's really what it is. It's just uh, how do I combine these two things? Also, it's kind of like an anti-comic book film. I, at the time, was just very tired of um, everywhere I walked, I would hear about the latest ginormous film that um, people kind of it's interesting how fandom works. People kind of like have a sense of ownership of those properties. And to me, I wanted to do someone who was like living that way, 
as a serial killer. Like he's he doesn't realize that he doesn't own that world. So yeah, that's that's basically what Arctic is. It's about a comic book obsessed serial killer and kind of um, what happens with his uh, his family and and kind of like an intruder and and you know will his secret get out type of, type of thing. Well, it, yeah, I mean you can see that comic book vein running through it. I mean, it is very much graphic novel rather rather than the Marvel or DC franchise stuff. It is very much that much darker graphic novel, Watchmen kind of vibe running through it with the way it looks. Which right, I really like. Right. Yeah, and I kind of wanted to give it almost like a... Uh, the goal was to give it like... Almost make it uh, feel like a Grindhouse film, but also give the impression... If you are watching one of these old comic books on screen, like, I don't know, same type of dialogue, same type of, like, every scene is, like, a little bit mysterious, you know, and, and um, that's kind of the overall feel I was going for. So, um, plus it was my first movie, so I was just, like, experimenting, and certain things work, certain things don't, but, hey, if you're going to do it, do it on the first one, and then people will be like, see, he was trying things. <laughs> You know, it it was really great for your first out. one. It it was it is brilliant. It's a brilliant first film. Well, and you've you've, you've obviously got some um some great indie big hitters in there like uh, Matt Mercer. Matt Mercer and in there. Lauren Ashley Carter. We love Lauren Ashley Carter. Oh yeah. She lives down yeah, the road Lauren. in Nottingham now from us. <laughs> so. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah Lauren's great. Um, she was the first one that came on board actually. Um, Lauren and. Uh, uh, I really see Jerry kind of going forward in that same direction. He really loves horror, and um, and he works on a lot of stuff all the time. He's always mm-hmm. writing. And Matt Mercer is just, like, the greatest human being on Earth. It's, it's kind mm-hmm. of like, it's almost offensive when you hang out with him or when you <laughs> talk to him. I'm like, have you ever had a bad day? <laughs> like, do, you, do you ever stop smiling? And he's like, no, just cover me in more blood. It's Aww. great. Blood. <laughs> So he's just always up for everything. He's really cool. And Chase Williamson is like one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and then Gavin, who played Boy Adam, is just I, I see him kind of um, really experimenting with a lot of different roles. And, and um, you know, when I was young, I really loved pro wrestling. And I, I was always like, man, I'm going to do wrestling every day of my life <laughs> until I'm 50. And Gavin is the same exact, um, you know, he's programmed the same way. He has the same mentality, but in terms of acting. And so he's studying film and editing and all these other interesting things. And so I could see him basically being like me, but actually following through with it because, you know, um, when I got into the fact that I had to take off my shirt and put baby oil on, I kind of was just like, guys, come on. We really, we're really going through this. So, um, yeah, everything else I, I was totally comfy with. <laughs> I was just going to ask, like, with, with the cast, when you were writing the script, did you kind of have an idea of these people in mind to play these roles, or did they kind of authentically develop? No, no. So originally, um, uh, I was talking to a producer, and there was like this big kind of Hollywood hoopla. Um, uh, a lot of a lot of uh, what I call Gaga, a lot of Gaga around. You know, people talking. Oh, we could get we could get this person and that person and this person. And I was like, I just kind of want to make a movie. And they were, you know, the, the person was like, Yeah, we got we got to get this person, C, and that person. 
and uh, and I was like, okay, whatever you want to do, whatever. And that process kind of went on for a long time after the script was already written. And I was like, you know what? Um, I got to do this movie before I, before I turn uh, 36, or I'm going to kill myself. That's it. So this thing is going on and on and on. It's been like three months. Uh, I'm not waiting any longer, so I appreciate all your time. But I'll find another way. And like literally 23 days later, um, I, I had met Jerry like maybe the following weekend after that phone call. And 23 days later, I mean, we were in Albuquerque, New Mexico, getting ready to shoot. I was completely cast up. And, and that's generally, um, you know, kind of like the story of every indie production is um, the production itself becomes its own story. It's like a movie within a movie. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of how it happened is once the ball got rolling and I was like, I set an actual date. I was like, this has to happen. My birthday is the 19th. This has to happen around you know, before my birthday, around my birthday, and December 2nd, we started shooting. So um, once the date and the steps were, like, taken to move forward, then before I knew it, Ash- Lauren Ashley Carter was like, hey, I'm interested. And then once Matt found out Lauren was interested, he was like, yeah, of course. And then Chase was free at the time and was like, oh, I've, you know, done multiple movies with Matt, and I've always wanted to do a movie with Lauren. And so that was one of the ideas of there's a big fight scene in the end, um, towards the end of the film between, uh, involving Lauren and Chase. And the idea for me was, Hey, these are two people who've been around this indie horror world for a while and have never gotten to work together. Let's really get them to work together. Let's, let's, let's put them in the most intense scene possible. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't have those people in mind necessarily when I was writing the script, but very shortly after, like as soon as we decided, okay, this is a go. I mean, those were like the first people I went to and they thankfully were all interested. So, Awesome. I think apart from Lauren shows she's a, quite a match for him during that, during that yeah. scene. It is, it is pretty brutal. It is pretty brutal. Did you ever think about, I, I don't know if this came before it, but did you ever think about making a comic book to match up with the film? You know, a lot, a lot of films tend to do that. They'll make a, a a little comic book after did you ever think of doing that or yeah there's there's been some discussions about that i'm not um i, I wouldn't be the person who would head that up but i would love um to kind of like empower someone who's passionate about that to just go go forth and thrash um i i uh i've talked to a few people about that so you know we'll, we'll see if anything ever comes of it mm. but that yeah that definitely has been an idea i was gonna say i mean i suppose that there's a whole mutant horror universe out there mm. with people who are similar to him or much worse let's say there's yeah, a yeah. there's a lot of way like in the way marvel did less dc because they're not they know they know marvel <laughs> but in the same way that marvel could build a whole universe and they work on the universal monster universe i'm sure there's a lot of scope to build a whole mutant yeah. horror universe out there yeah 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 i agree i mean there's um so you know we'll, we'll see if anything ever moves forward on that on that tip so you never know any news of a uk release for, I, I know it's available on amazon region free blu-ray us version i couldn't find any info on a uk release yet is there anything in the works uh, there is something that works but uh, i'm i'm not privy to divulge oh. any <laughs> 
not even on fly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well so we'll we'll see how that all plays out i i I don't really uh i'm kind of like the person who once the movie's done i i want nothing to do with it i just (laughs) you know it's like uh i just i just want to move on to the next one so in terms of all that stuff i i never even i don't i don't handle any of that i don't know what's i don't even know where i am so (laughs) i have no idea what's happening at any time (laughs) Have you have you got anything you're working on next or? Yeah, so there's a, there's a couple projects that um, are in the works. Um, one of them, it's interesting because generally how it works, um, you know, everyone I'm sure has always been creative and writing, and pursuing other films, and um, on the kind of uh, getting things green light phase, it generally works as far as I know is either by you know, you going out yourself and acquiring funding or maybe uh, working with a distributor or working with a sales team that wants to see something come to fruition. And so in that case, one of the films I'm on right now is with a sales team that I, I really trust in the, and I think that they're working really hard on it. So I do see it happening. There's another one that I really love that just a really silly idea that, hey, we'll see if it happens. <laughs> it might be too silly, but... Yeah, so there's there's a couple things that I have. Also, I was going to say, any any info on one of the shorts that I really, or one of your shorts I really enjoyed being fleshed out into a a feature? One of them does involve one of the shorts, so I'll leave it at that. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what happens with it. Well, we kind of jump because I was, I, I was going to ask you about, um, so I've not been um, Instagram stalking yet, don't worry, but I've been on <laughs> If, if Mercer ever says he's not been stalking you, he totally has. I'm sorry. Hey, hey, when you got when you got 493 followers like I do, you get a lot of Instagram stocks. You know what I mean? You're a surgeon at Thunder. I was looking. I was just looking at some of the pictures. So Arctic obviously did a lot of festivals, and but obviously out into Europe, across America. I just wondered what like, that experience is was like for you. So you said you're quite introverted. So to go out there and be like, put your film out there and then have to stand and talk about it and stuff like that. Well, so it was interesting for two reasons. Reason one is you mentioned, uh, I, I am a little introverted, but I, I also have like this performer inside of me. You know, I used to, um, I grew up on pro wrestling and I used to be in this really, almost like a pro wrestling themed uh, rock band. So, you know, it was like, um, uh, there's always this performer side to me. I, I, I would rather not go out and, um, and spend every night, you know, speaking to a big crowd. But if I get a chance to, you know, I'm going to try to light up the room, you know, we're going to have some fun. Um, so it, in, in that regard, it was, ex- it was just like one of the funnest periods in my life I've had so far. The other reason why it was like an extremely memorable situation for me is um, I didn't get my uh, American citizenship until the beginning of last year. So when you don't have a citizenship, when you have a green card, you um, traveling internationally is a very difficult ordeal, especially after 9-11. I remember when I was in the band, we took a trip to Japan. It took me like seven and a half months of paperwork just Mm. to be able to get an itinerary together to leave. So, um, 
you know, I, I was born in uh, Poland, so um, didn't come to the States until I was five or six. I, it's something I should have handled a long time ago, but I never did because I was lazy. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and, and also, I didn't really have a reason to travel internationally. Like, I always wanted to travel, but I was kind of a little bit afraid of what would happen uh, just because of that situation. So it was like this nice hump to get over, this nice barrier that was in front of me to get over to finally get the citizenship. And so that's one of the things I remember most is literally I got my citizenship. And then like two days later, I got passport or passport submission paperwork. Two weeks later, I had a passport. And like a week after that, I was on a flight to Mexico City. And then after that, it was like two weeks later, I was in Spain. I was in, you know, I was... um uh, at Grimfest, I was uh, in, uh, like, I went all over. I went to um, Germany, you know, um, uh, for Hardline. And, and it was it was just a really, really cool experience. So even though I'm, like, more introverted in nature, I do have a sense of, um, I do love performing. And I also love like adventure so it was just like you're going on this adventure for you know and getting to travel around with some some movie you did you know which maybe like a year prior I didn't even know that it would I would get the chance to finish it or shoot it or anything like that you know what I mean so it was just kind of like all the ginormous plus and yeah it, it was really cool I got to eat crazy food everywhere and yeah it was great <laughs> okay. did you notice a massive difference between the fan kind of responses versus like the countries that you were in. Yeah, yeah, there was actually a very big distinction. In Mexico, uh, it was very weird because people viewed me as if I was some known director, and I was like, oh no, <laughs> nobody knows who I am. Um, and uh, and you know, like let's say when I was in Manchester, it was a very almost like a friendly. Like, uh, people just kind of want to get a drink with you or, or, or you know, they, they, they're much more interested in getting to know you. Um, and, um, and it felt the same in Germany. While in Spain, it was, um, Spain was just an interesting presentation overall because, you know, when I went to Spain it, um, last year um, at Nocturna Madrid, they had the 25th anniversary of the Crow and they had the director there. Um, Alex Proyes, I, I believe is how you pronounce his name. And um, and so it was weird because I found myself at this festival where I'm a director that's there and that's a director that's there. And then there's people who come to the fest and they view you at like this same level. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> that person's done like 30 years of this. Um, I've done what? <laughs> Hey, if, if they're believing that, let them believe that. There's no harm there. <laughs> so, so, so that's like the interesting thing about the Spain experience is like there's this interesting like dichotomy of the people who um, they they're not they don't necessarily know any better. They just see oh he, these are the directors at this festival and that's great. Uh, they all work on these things. And for me, it's like oh no, I'm I'm just I'm kind of like just here to eat like uh, tapas. You know, <laughs> and talk about some movie, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah but 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 your movie are right after his, so you're exactly." That. And I'm like, "No, no, no, no." <laughs> so so that was like the difference is, you know, it kind of depending on how the festival worked out, um, you're you're treated a little differently by each um, segment of viewers. 
So, yeah, that was like the main thing. But I will say in Mexico, it was very cool because people just like were so ecstatic that you were there. And a lot of the screenings take place in these, you know, um, historic, like almost monuments, you know, like we, we like Arctic was playing in, in like one of the biggest theaters in all of Mexico City. And then they did their award ceremony inside an old historic museum. And I was just like, do they know what's happening in this museum? (laughs) There's just like pictures of bloody, you know, like gore and, and, and they're playing like the craziest, loudest metal, you know, and they're just like, we're going to give away some awards. (laughs) People are dressed as Satan. And uh, it's like, there's, there's like a historic, like 6,000 year old painting right there. Are you sure you want to, they're like, no, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you should really be here. You deserve to be here. I was like, I don't know if I do. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was an interesting experience all around. Cool. Well, um, I hope this has opened your eyes to the future of rat films. <laughs> it has. <laughs> yeah, if, if nothing and, uh, else, I've got, I, when I file my DVDs, I can now put a category for rat. It's yes. fine. It'll be on, it'll right. be on there. Sorted. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Thank you, Tom, for joining us. We thank really you. do appreciate it. It's been a blast. Yeah, thank, thank you for the invite. Thank you for watching my film recommendation, and uh, thank you for enjoying Arctic. I, I appreciate the time, and, uh, yeah, enjoy, you guys. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you, thank, thank you for showering for us as well. That's <laughs> massively appreciated. <laughs> it'll, never, it'll never happen again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be, I'm sure I'll be tagging you constantly over the next few days. Awesome. (laughs) You're about to get three more followers. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. Well, thanks, guys. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. So that's our show for this week. We would, again, like to thank Tom Bocci for being part of our episode thank you he had, Tom. he had to disappear and go and uh actually be productive and do something worthwhile with his day <laughs> but we do thank him for slumming around with our our good selves very interesting chat regarding arctic as well i thought mm-hmm. we will put our poll up as normal so that you can vote for your choices be it my tremors phase descent or you can vote for mercer's mist Mercer's Mist. Mercer's Mist, the new fragrance. It's, I, I love it. I'm taking it. Or you can obviously side with Tom Bocci, who won't be tweeting trying to get you to spoil his film, <laughs> but you can support other known origin. But as I say, we'll put the poll out. We will be back with the results episode next week. As always, please tweet us your feedback. Let us know what you like on the show, what your opinions are of the films. And if there's anything else you want us to do or cover, we're open to suggestions. Mm-hmm. We're, we're sure 25 are. episodes deep now, so we need... So, it's goodbye from me, it's goodbye from Faye. Goodbye! And it's goodbye from Mercer. So long! Bye! Bye! To keep up to date with everything we're doing, or if you want to contact us at all, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook and Letterboxd by searching for I Spit on Your Grids, Twitter by searching for the handle at SpitGrids, or you can email us on electricpossums at gmail.com.